This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, with just eight teams remaining, it's win or go home time as the playoffs kick off. We talk thumbs up, thumbs down, our top five stories of the regular season, and give you the X factors of who will play a biggest role this weekend. All that and more, plus box bets on OTCB. I am an Good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, alongside Pat Gregoire. My name is Teddy Jenner, and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Jones over now, far side, driving in on goal was McIntosh. Gives it behind the net to Jones. Jones looking, he's free, shoots and scores as he goes top corner. It's 7-1. Seven straight now for Philadelphia. Halifax looking for potentially an icer. Give off, wraparound attempt, yes sir! Will that be it? And how fitting it may be, if it is, that Randy Stotts comes away with the goal. His return to Metro Atlanta, it's been a good one tonight. Rushka did a full 360 looking for the ball. He got the save. Oh, Reed wanted that one. And a snipe by Matthews. 38.1 left. And Saskatchewan leads for the first time since the first quarter. Snagged by Vince. Airs it out. Ian McKay. Behind the back pass. Bird scores. Transition at its finest. Vince put it in the bread basket. The pass by McKay. Bird does the rest. Now Austin starts. Shumay scores! The playoffs start next week, but playoff Patrick's in rare form already. Insurance for San Diego. Digby, Kiernan, O'Connor, Kiernan, Teat scores! When it's a four on three and you've got that good of ball movement, it's almost automatic you're gonna score a goal, but give another one to Jeff Teat, 134, four away. We're witnessing something special here tonight, Teddy. What is good, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to the playoff edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter at PGreggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner, at Teddy Jenner. Uh, the show is at OTCB underscore podcast. Or we on the Instas at OTCB podcast. 22 weekends in the books. It all came down to the final weekend of who would be where, who would travel, and who would be out. And it was a fantastic finale of the National Lacrosse League weekend. Uh, we'll break much of it down, we'll talk top five stories. We'll get you set up for the first round of playoffs where it's a single elimination, give you our X factors, thumbs up, thumbs down, and we'll talk some other lacrosse that's going on around the world. But uh, what's up, Patty? I haven't talked to you in a few weeks. What's going on, man? Uh, it's been a while. How did the move go? Are you all settled? I know it's a, it's a different – I know the folks at home can't see, but yeah. it's a different setup. Yeah, different setup. You'll see it on uh, Coast to Coast. Uh, it went well. Uh, the girls and I powerbombed the truck on Wednesday night and Thursday morning, and then the movers came, and uh, they were great. Just so you know, Facebook has great people that do moves for cheap, um, and they were fantastic. 
Uh, so yeah, we're in. We're uh, coming up on our first full week. Still a lot of boxes everywhere, but uh, <laughs> we're all settling in nicely, and, and the place is awesome. Um, it's right next to my old elementary school, so I'm very familiar with the hood, um, and, and we're happy. So it was a, a crazy week, uh, but we got through it, and now it's just getting comfortable. So uh, it, life is it good. Was, it was moving week for you guys, but it was moving week in the NLL as we. Oh, it was. so good, Patty. Like the the bridge there was just there for you, <laughs> and you crossed it, and you built it perfectly. Yes, it was moving day, and you know. The only team that did the moving was the Halifax Thunderbirds and they were able to jump Rochester, get into that third seed, create an all Canadian matchup in the first round with Toronto. Uh, unfortunately, Colorado wasn't able to leapfrog Panther city. So that gives us some very juicy matchups out West and all four matchups that we're going to get this weekend are unbelievable. And then we're going to go into detail on them all, but uh, the final weekend of the regular season, Philadelphia beats Rochester, another loss for Rochester down the stretch. They just haven't been putting it together. But as the old saying goes, the playoffs are a second season. So it doesn't matter. You're already in. You just got to start winning games now. So they're going to have to find a way to turn things around and, and be the Rochester team that we saw at the start of the season. Buffalo beats Albany 16-10 as Dane Smith sets a new single season assist record. Halifax beats Georgia 17-11 to end Georgia's hopes and dreams. At one point, Georgia was leading that game, but Halifax just was able to pull away. San Diego beats Colorado 11-8, and that will seal them meeting up in the first round, pun intended. Uh, Jeff Teat almost breaks the single-season points record in what was an incredible second half for him as the Riptide knock off the Warriors 16-8, and then the Rush on a late goal by Mark Matthews, beat the Desert Dogs 13-12. So it was an eventful weekend for some, a disappointing weekend for others, but as a fan perspective, it was a heck of a way to end the regular season. Yeah, it it, it was – I we've been saying it for so long, Teddy. We knew that some of these seedings were going to come down to, to the last week, and it did, and it, it did not – Disappoint. Yeah, sure. Would have been nice for a couple of more winning your end games. Um, some of the housekeeping was taken care of the week before. Um, but to be honest, I know, yes, Georgia was an unreal story. One of the stories of the year, no doubt they fall short of, you know, making that ultimate comeback this season. But I'll be honest, man, I, I really don't know if you could have had better first round matchups just no. based off what we have the way the bracket has set up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. We get an all Canadian matchup, Toronto, Halifax. That is going to be a great one on Friday night. The other Friday night game seals mammoth, despite the seals just being in the league for a couple of years. Now this rivalry has just flourished. And a big reason is because of these playoff matchups. Mm-hmm. Then you go to Saturday, Roughnecks Panther City feels like they've already played a hundred times this year, and we've had a hundred different ways that the Roughnecks have found ways to win. Um, that game, though, again, I think Panther City certainly the underdog, but I, I, I just with that group, I think they could make this one a close game. And then, of course, Bandits, Nighthawks, Buffalo. Rochester, the I-90 rivalry, the mm. Western New York rivalry, any way you slice it, big brother, little brother, 
that game itself is mm-hmm. going to be a doozy. That one's on ESPNU as well. The fact that we have all games, um, you know, three of the four games on linear TV is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I think this first round is going to be electric. Um, we're going to get into that. But let's uh, – top five stories of the year. There's obviously some outside stories. You know, the the linear deal with TSN and ESPN was, was fantastic just for more fans watching. We had over a million fans go through the gates throughout National Cross League arenas. Um, the return of Aaron Bold, um, just the, 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 the rookies that came into the league this year that were unbelievable. But we, we've kind of got five – top stories for the season that we've kind of talked about we want to focus on for 22 23 and and right out of the gate uh jeff teat and dane smith going ham all season long and the fact that teeter only had one point after the first half and then just went ballistic in that second half against vancouver like we were doing the teat watch we were having the, the countdown ticker going on the broadcast and we were trying to figure out, was he in on that assist, that play? Did he get an assist? We were trying to keep track. And we're like, oh, man, one point in the second half. You might even have a hard time catching Dane for the scoring title this year. But then, as anybody that's watched Jeff Teat play, he just has this innate ability to turn it on. And even when he turns it on, he doesn't look like he's going 100%. And he's mm-hmm. just it looks like he's floating shots. But, man, everything he was shooting was going in. Every pass he made was leading to a goal in the back of the net. And he, we were like, oh, my God, he's going to pull this off. He's going to do it. He was one point from tying, two points from breaking it and setting a new single season mark. But what an absolute incredible story this is. In two years, he's got like 260 points, um, which or 248-something ridiculous points. Um Incredible to see what he's done right off the start. I, I don't think he's a bust. I think the book is <laughs> firmly planted in the fact that he is going to be as good as advertised. And then Dane Smith with the second highest uh, point total this year, the third highest in NLL or fourth highest in NLL history, but more importantly, almost reached the century club in assists alone, mm-hmm. which is just incredible to think of. Um, no spoilers, but my hot take this week on Coast to Coast involves those two guys and the possibility of what is to come in the future for them. So what an unreal year for those two guys as two of the faces of the league to have such incredible offensive numbers. Let's I'll, I'll start with Teat because, again, it's uh, I, you know, he finished as the scoring champ. He was one point away. I still can't believe that we had one shift left and we didn't get him on the floor. There's no, there's no way uh, he, if, if he wanted to be out there, he he was going to be out there. And uh, again, it kind of just goes to show you that the character that he is, that again, yeah. he doesn't really care about the accol- accolades. He's more, he's more important about ending the season with a, you know, a, a comeback and, and a great victory and a, a way to close things out. Um, you could even hear that in the post game or anytime, like, you know, I had a conversation with him the week before, um, talking about that. And uh, honestly, he kept just downplaying it, but you saw him firsthand. Like when you get to watch him on TS, TSN or ESPN, like it's, it's a beautiful thing. 
Yeah. But when you see him in person, you just see how fluid he is and just the special things he does. He moves so much different than everyone else. And it's just, he really is a generational talent. And then, you know, you flip to Dane Smith and just continuing just to put up historical numbers. Like when you look at the all-time points, go, go look them up. The best five seasons um, from a point standpoint. Dane Smith in 2016, 137. Jeff T this year, mm-hmm. 136. Dane Smith, mm-hmm. 2022, 135. Dane Smith, 2023, 132. And then Sean Evans at 130 in 2015. He has three, three of the top five. Of the top five <laughs> and they've all been in what, four years? Taking yes. out COVID, so like three seasons? Yeah, and and then you go to assists. He's obviously just broke his own record. Mm -hmm. So he's got the best two single-season assist records. Oh, yeah, he also holds the record for most goals in a single season (laughs) back in 2016. Like, it's just year after year after year. Maybe he's not breaking his own record for most points, but he's breaking some record or having a top five statistical accolade being broken or being in the top five, whatever it is. Like, he continues to amaze me how good and how complete of a of a forward he is um we're in the golden age i think brad challenger said that on lax clock this class this week we are in a, a golden age of offensive lacrosse and those two guys are leading the way no doubt which leads us into our second story of the year the golden age saw 13 players with at least 100 points in the National Lacrosse League this season. I think the most had ever been like six or seven. Yeah, just seven I think that. it was, yeah. And you mentioned it, the, the talent that is in our league right now. And when you look at the names that are on that list, Teet, Smith, Jones, Schreiber, Fields, Reza Terrence, Berg, Thompson, Hugh, Church, Doby, Dixon, King. Mark Matthews was two points away. Will Malcolm was four. Byrne, Stotts, Jackson, and Hellyer were all seven points away. And Johnny Donville, the rookie, was 10 away. Like, it's not <laughs> fathomable to think at some point we could have 20 100-point guys. And like, they're all just remarkable talents. Like, can you imagine finishing it with 100 points and not finishing in the top 10? Like, Curtis Dixon had 100. <laughs> right? And he was 12th. Yeah. Jonathan Dondell had 90. Yeah. Jonathan Dondell had 90, and he finished 20th. Clark Peterson had 84, and he was 23rd, Not almost not <laughs> even in the 25. Like, we are truly in an age. Um, and again, well, we might have a different conversation come playoff time, but – uh, what we're seeing from these guys on a uh, on a week in week out basis, um, offensively the game has changed. Um, mm-hmm. These guys have gotten better, and I think a lot of it goes to the fact that a lot of these guys are you know full time professional yeah. players. Yeah, you know a guy like Jeff Teat and Dane Smith. Yeah, sure, Jeff Teat's at the Hill and and coaching lacrosse, but his whole life revolves around lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Da- Dane Smith, his whole life you know, revolves around the game of lacrosse. Tom Schreiber, yeah, he's coaching and running clinics, and but still, lacrosse is everything he does from Monday to Friday and then Saturday and Sunday. 
imagine what happens when we get to a point where everyone, every single player, all active roster are all playing full time and don't have to worry about a nine to five during the week. That's where this this game's going to take it to a completely other level. And it's it's remarkable to see. We also had the first ever national lacrosse league outdoor game this year. And we were supposed to have it in Miramar a few years ago, but then COVID stepped in the way and said no. And I believe it was supposed to be San Diego and Vancouver in that game. So we had to wait a couple years. And while we waited, they built up the hype. They found a, a great location. They got ESPN on board. They got the Skycam involved. They put a ton of money in this event. And I think we can all agree it went better than we all expected it would go. And whether this becomes an every year thing or an every couple of year thing, this will be a spectacle in the National Lacrosse League more than just once. And obviously the locale will have to be very specific. But the fact that they pulled this off after years of trying and hoping to get it done and how successful it was – Kudos to Steve Govett and everybody involved to making that happen because it was one of the, the best NLL showcases we've ever seen. It was a it was a spectacle. It was amazing. And I really I feel like there was a lot of people not rooting against it, but just being like, oh God, look at how many empty seats there's going to be. And turned out to be an unbelievable crowd. It was a great yeah. crowd. Um, the venue was beautiful. Um, just a great day. The broadcast was amazing, like the, the the sky cam, as you mentioned, and all the other bells and whistles. It showcased the game that we've never seen it before. And I hope you're right. I hope we get a stadium showdown series like every year we get a different a different game uh, at a different venue. I mean, again, it, it's, it is a huge financial investment from the organization and from the NLL itself. But I think it's it's something that is definitely worth it. And I think the league and the team should be investing on it. You know, next year, we already talked about some of it. So this I feel like these these topics are probably better to talk about during the offseason when things are a little bit slower for us. Um, but I mean, coming to mind like Toronto um, in Hamilton at Tim Hortons Field, would that not be awesome? Like we, we went through we don't need to go through it again, but I just I just feel like. There are so many opportunities for some of these teams to see what happened, see that it's realistic because I'm sure there've been owners across the league that have wanted to do this, mm -hmm. but are a little bit scared. And it just took Steve Govett and, and Joe Sy to take that risk along with the NLL. And now yeah. that they saw it come to, to life, this could be a, a yearly thing. I think the, the biggest caveat will always be like locale and timing, right? You, with, 75% of the National Lacrosse League markets covered in snow for 75% of the year uh, or rain. It's going to be tough to, to plan one of these things sure. because, you know, by Colorado, it could be 50 degrees one day and it could be 80 degrees the other. And then it could be <laughs> yeah. snowing. Vancouver, you could get rain in a minute. Calgary, you get crazy weather. Saskatchewan, yeah. Hell, it's probably still snowing there right now. Um, <laughs> so you have to be very precise with where you're going to go. And yes, we would love to be able to do this in every market, but 
you wouldn't be able to do it in most markets until April. And the fact that you would be doing that, I don't think you would actually want to do that when you're in the March to May. You know what I mean? When, when games mean so much, like you're not doing a Halifax, Georgia game, last game of the year, winner gets in, but it's outdoors in the elements, um, you know, in a field that was just built 48 hours before. So I think there are some things they have to be very careful about. But I agree, you know, finding the right locale and making this an every year thing, I think it would be unbelievable. You know, obviously Vegas and San Diego are probably the two places that have the best opportunity to do it on a regular basis. Um, And you could obviously bring in different teams each and every year for that game. But, you know, as much as we'd want it in a Vancouver or a Toronto or a Buffalo or wherever, weather dependent is a big thing. So uh, it's definitely going to be something that we continually do, but I just don't know how many markets will be able to pull it off. You know, it would be cool to play a snow game, but you'd have to change the color of the ball. You'd have to find a way to keep the creases clean. Um, So there are a lot of things work around things, but what a, what a, a first go around for the national crossing and the success they had. And, you know, Steve Govett's got some other ideas on his brain of, of where to put it. So, again, a topic for another time, one we've discussed many times before. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, the Swarm starting off the season 0-7 and, and then pulling a miraculous rabbit out of the hat to find a way to at one point be sitting in a playoff spot in the last couple of weeks of the season and having a, a winner-take-all one game to end the season with a chance to get in. Just goes to show you are never out of it in the National Lacrosse League. And what a turnaround for this group. You know, Lyle Thompson and Andrew Q leading the way offensively. Brett Dobson having a a rookie of the year candidate season in the back half was an incredible, incredible story. We were so, so close. We were (laughs) so close to seeing them do the unthinkable. But I think you said it like what they were able to do, uh, the turnaround. Like, this was a team that we had discussions, you know, do they trade Lyle Thompson? Do they trade Shane Jackson? What do they do? Like, is this the end? Like, I think it's very, very apparent that this team is very close. And you can't have this conversation without talking about Brett Dobson, the rookie, finally coming into his own, like, halfway. And it was just a boom. Mm. A light switch just went on. It wasn't a slow progression, man. It was literally like, that looks like a rookie that has a lot of potential, but he can't put a full 60 together. And then just overnight, it was like, oh, this is why he's probably the best goalie prospect that we've seen since, I don't know, Delianco. And he's been, he was lights out. Yeah, probably his, his not best effort in the second half came in the biggest moment. But let's also give a lot of credit to that Halifax team that, had the work to put a lot of balls by Dobson and uh, you know, Dobson being steady and sound was kind of allowed the offense to start opening up and allowed Lyle Thompson to be Lyle Thompson again and Andrew Q to find himself and the defense to play a little more aggressive and, and not worry about giving out those outside shots. And again, Owen seven, if they win one more of those during that stretch, they're in the postseason. Yep. One. All they got to do is win one of those. And I, I can guarantee you that that's probably been said in that locker room um, when they lost that just the 0-7 hole was just 
was too big, too big of a hill to climb. It was. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of those early season games that they lost by one or in overtime. You flip that around. This is a completely different season for them. But a bright future ahead, especially with Brett Dobson in between the pipes for the Swarm. Our final story of the top five story of the regular season. And it's a bright spot for the league and a bright spot for the future of the National Lacrosse League. And that is the success and impact of Americans in the National Lacrosse League this year. We will continually say that for the National Lacrosse League to be successful in all markets, no matter where they are, it has to be with a basis of strong American players. And Tom Schreiber a few years ago kind of burst on the scene and and was like, okay, you don't need box experience to be an American that has success. And then you get Ryan Tarafenko and then Jack Hanna, John Piatelli, Matt Rambo is still a consistent threat. Blaze Reardon is starting to come into his own. Um, you go up and down the list. Kieran McCardle is still a threat. Jack Kelly. There are some incredible Americans coming into the National Crossing, some with box experience, some without box experience. But we're finding the ones that want to play this game and are willing to go through the grind of figuring it out to be successful. And this has to be one of the best years we've seen from American-born players. And that's just going to continue to open the door for more guys to not only come in the league, but as we'll talk later, want to come up to Canada to play in the summer times to gain that experience. So front to back, offense to defense, the Americans in the National Lacrosse League absolutely showed up and it is incredible for the future of our league. I, I like two two Americans. Well, one one. Oh, I didn't even say Joey Rez. There's another one. Joey Rez, uh, Connor Fields. Like yeah. although he's a <laughs> he's, he's pseudo Canadian, no Canadian, no. But and anyways, he's a, an American born player. But yeah, mm. um, two of five in the top five, like just ridiculous. And I think we've. No, there there have been ebbs and flows of, of of some of the these great Americans that have come into the league, but for a little while there, we were getting a lot of great, um, you know, defensive uh, American players or some of those transition American players. Um, but it was the true skill guys, like Tom Trevor, of course. Yeah, he comes in and immediately just shows that like he's so skilled that he's able to to be that guy. Um, unfortunately, for a lot of these guys, it takes them a little while. Um, but now we're seeing likes of like a Ryan Tarafenko that is just so supremely athletic mm-hmm. that he can come in and he's cerebral. Like, yeah, last year he was great. Don't get me wrong. Really, really good first year, but his second year, he's taken it to a com- completely another level. Danny Logan, what we're seeing him do in his rookie year. Like another guy I forgot. You, you nailed it though. Like if the NLL wants to get to a point where there's going to be, you know, full-time players and um you know like a lot more expansion teams coming in it is paramount that more americans figure out the box game and not just be those mid-tier guys like more Mm -hmm. superstars because that's also not only is it going to make the product better um but it's also going to help grow the game south of the border and i think these guys have done it this year and it's been amazing to see Time now for thumbs up, thumbs down as we talk about the good and bad uh, of the past week or even looking ahead. Um, 
I want to start with thumbs down because I want to do more positives towards the end, but this isn't a very important one for thumbs down. Uh, if you're on social media the past week, uh, you saw a pretty disgusting video coming out of upstate New York of, of a high school lacrosse game where some parents are heard using disparaging remarks to, to some indigenous lacrosse players and the indigenous lacrosse team. Um, and the fact that we are still, after all we've discovered and all we're learning and all the information and media attention that's been out there, that people still choose to use words that are harmful, hurtful, and just plain out disrespectful to the Haudenosaunee culture. And I'm still believing that it's just people not understanding and, and they're still having this word a part of their lexicon that they feel doesn't mean anything, but actually holds so much historical weight and yet they throw it around so freely and so freely at young kids. And a great statement was put out by the Haudenosaunee um, lacrosse organization about how they continue to try and educate and to try to give their people and culture a better, safer avenue to play this game. But the fact that it still happens in 2023 is just disgusting. And we need people to be better. We need people to continue to learn the history of our game and the history of their suffering. Because using words that these people were using is just not acceptable anymore. It, it really, it really isn't. And it, it is, you know, despicable. It really is. And I, I if you haven't, um, go to the Haudenosaunee Nationals social media channels, whatever it is read the statement and 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 really feel like you know the pain and the ignorance and how much water those words hold. But you could see in the statement, it's it's not. It is obviously condemning those words, but it's more about teaching um, about what the what that means and uh, what the game means. And they chose to take the higher road and, and and kind of put a light on on the good of the game and what it means to them um, and saying about how we need to stand together stronger, be good teammates to one another, lift each other up, uh, especially in times like this. So read the statement, educate yourself. I can't believe we're continuing to have to say this, educate yourself. And like it's 2023, folks. What are we doing here? Yeah, and, I, you know, again, I just don't think people – you know, they've used words so long in, in all their daily goings of life that they don't realize that what may seem like a simple word has such deep, dark pain for these people and for the people of the Haudenosaunee culture and for the indigenous families that have gone through so much toil and torment over centuries that... They feel that words can't hurt, but words do a hell of a lot of damage. So let's be better. Let's continue to educate and realize that there are words that may seem innocuous, but go way beyond anything you could ever imagine. Do you have a thumbs down this week? Or uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I had one, but I think that the, you know, yours was so powerful, important. I think we can leave it on that one there. All right. What's your thumbs up? My thumbs up 
is technically, I guess, look, uh, no, it's, it's, it's definitely lacrosse, but, um, <laughs> and I'm a little bit reluctant to do this because now he's an opponent of the team that I cheer for, but thumbs up to Brandon Montana. Oh. He is on an absolute tear right yeah. now with the Florida Panthers. And, um, yeah, I know they're playing the Leafs right now. They're up one nothing. He uh, had a big goal, but he's tearing it up, and and it's awesome to see. Um, this guy was a unreal lacrosse yeah. player, like super good. Um, was on some of those awesome Six Nations Junior A teams, obviously winning a Mental Cup. But uh, yeah, good to see. I mean, there's so many guys. There's so many guys that are that are playing. I mean, John Tavares basically scored on a question mark dodge uh, <laughs> to behind the net um, for yeah. that winner. Um, but no, I had to give Montour a shout out just because how well he's playing and, um, and uh, w- the great things that he did during his young lacrosse seasons or long young lacrosse career, I should say. Uh, and having himself quite the year. It's too bad. This isn't a uh, contract year because he would be getting paid. Yeah. This off season. I guess he made the right decision. Sticking with yeah. hockey, saying yeah, I would say so. Hospital. I would say so. Uh, yeah, shout out Brandon Montour. What a what a playoffs he is having, and uh, force you guys got to deal with him and Kachuk for a few more games. So yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, on yeah. from that, and we won't talk about the absolute banana land drug show that was Vegas Oilers. That oh my god! Um, I mean, we'll, we'll hold on. Let's let, we'll, while we're on, we're this, already here. We're, we're already here. Go already ahead. Here. That. How is there two nights in a row where right? a guy scores four goals and ends up losing? Like, how's that five, possible? Four. Oh, five, four, six, four. Yeah. Like, crazy. Just little crazy. Joe so and good. Leon just go, I-, I got it. Kids, if you have three goals, don't score your four. <laughs> don't score you your four. <laughs> uh, no, let's get to your thumbs up because this one's Yeah, a good thumbs one. up. Um, and you mentioned it a little bit, but the fact that we are. Heading into the postseason, and we have two games on Linear TV up in Canada on TSN2 and two games south of the border on ESPNU is massive. We talk about, you know, a million fans going through the gates this year at the National Lacrosse League, which is huge. But so many of those fans maybe first learned about the National Lacrosse League by watching it on television, whether it be on TSN, TSN Plus, ESPN, ESPNU, The Deuce, The Plus, whatever, news, it's there. (laughs) The fact that we continue to expand our broadcast reach and that reach is having a direct correlation of getting more fans into the arena because as we always say, just watch it once and you're hooked. Now we're getting into the best time for the National Lacrosse League and in our opening round of, of four games, they're all going to be broadcast um you know to millions and millions of viewers around north america and, and the world so shout out to to joel feld and rich lisk and the broadcast committee who just continue to find ways to get our game to the masses um and shout out ashley docking doing a double dip this weekend ladder, yeah yeah he uh, gets the game in hamilton then gets the game in buffalo the next night so uh, all of our broadcast crews are, are going to be doing a lot of traveling over the next few weeks, but um, it's the behind the scenes stuff that, that makes our product so special. And the fact that we're on TSN twice, ESPNU twice uh, for these four games is massive. And you mentioned like the casual fan coming across it. I had, I had two separate buddies, two different friend groups 
text me um, on Saturday night asking me if I was watching the the Riptide game, the Riptide Warriors game, because yeah. again, just it was on late, flipping back and forth. I guess they flipped on during that second half, and they're like, "Who the hell is this Jeff T?" <laughs> and it's like that that is that's what's going to reel in the the casual. Um, lacrosse, the casual sports fan, and, and and again, sure, yeah, they watch, they'll watch the games when I'm broadcasting or whatever. They're just being supportive buddies. But now, well, they're saying up late games, the late night game for you guys. I right? know so it, exactly. So Saturday, like, well, yeah, and that's what I mean, and and that's what's going to real when you when you have Jeff Teat, like the fact we didn't have Jeff Teat on national television in Canada last year is just crazy. He was on mm. it a bunch of times this year, um, for good reason, um. And yeah, you could be like, ugh, like Vancouver, New York at the end of the year. Oh God, like that means nothing. It's like, well, also, first off, folks, if the if the NLO was at a point and TSN could flip and pick a game that's more meaningful, send a truck down and a crew. Absolutely. Not that easy. But let's it's, it's not that easy. And let's be honest, again, Jeff T, anytime you can get that guy on national TV, it's a win because he is the type of guy, these superstars are going to be the ones that are going to grow the game and bring in fans. And case in point, two non-lacrosse fans, casual fans, turn on the TV, see this number 51 buzzing around there. They decided not to flip back on an NHL hockey game because they're like hearing you guys talk about how he could break this single scoring record and they stayed on it. So just needs the opportunity, man. You just need the opportunity to see it from a coach because we know if you go to a lacrosse game, you're going to be hooked. Yeah. How do you get Uh, them there? Yeah. How you get them there is the big thing. And, you know, even, even simple things like the fact that, you know, once the game starts, say it's, you know, on TSN five or whatever your region is, but then TSN one joins it in progress. So, you know, you'd be watching the basketball game or whatever you're watching on, on main and then we now join this in progress. And you're like, oh, National Crossing, what is this? Oh, sweet. This is kind of fun. I'm going to stick and watch this. So, yep. um, you know, you see in, in, in bars all the time that just happen to have TSN on. And they don't change channels. And next thing you know, a whole bar full of people are watching lacrosse games. So mm-hmm. um, it's awesome that we continue to grow. And the game of lacrosse is on linear television quite a bit. So, Let's talk about the games that are going to be on TV this weekend. In round one, win and you move on. Lose, make a tea time. It's one and done in the National Cross League's first round of the playoffs. It all starts Friday, and all four games could go either way. But let's start (coughs) with your game, the TSN game. Halifax at Toronto, all-Canada matchup. Uh, Nick Rose versus Warren Hill. Cody Jameson versus Tom Schreiber. Wiz versus TD at the dot. <laughs> going to be some fun matchups in this game that I can't wait for. There are so many great storylines in this one. You you didn't even mention, and I mean, if you talk to both teams, they say they're not thinking about it, but I feel like it's got to be in the back of their heads. Last year, round one, Halifax, down and out, just getting absolutely worked. And they just storm back in that second half and come back, tie things up. They took the lead. I know. They took the lead in that game. Toronto ties it up. Challen Rogers scores that goal. And Halifax unable to, to do the unthinkable and, and complete the comeback. You have a tale of two different teams. One team, the Rock, 12-0, and 
after leading in the first mm-hmm. half. Then you have, you know, the second, sorry, in the second half as well, 79 goals against. That's the least in the NL. On the flip side, you have the comeback kids. 72 goals scored in the fourth quarter, the most uh, in the uh, NLL. 118 goals in the second half, the most in the NL, the Thunderbirds. These teams, man, like if you watched the first game that they played, um, Toronto walks all, runs all over them, runs them out of the gym. The yeah. second game, Halifax slows it, mucks it up. But yeah, Challen Rogers was in the stands. They're missing Mitch DeSnew. So it's like, what do you take? You don't take anything. You throw out those two games because they didn't mean anything. Both teams are so different. I can't wait for this one, man. The storylines, just the matchups, like Graham Hossack going one-on-one against Tom Schreiber. Like who, who, is, who are you going to then match up? You know, Jake Withers with, and who's Mitch DeSnew going to cover? And who's Latre- like the game within the game, TD yeah. versus Wiz. Like, I know I'm doing this game and I'm glad <laughs> because like, we're not going to, there's, there's not going to be a lack of, of storylines. Like we're going to have to find ways to get these stories in because yeah. it's so good. And once the game starts, the story is going to tell them, tell themselves because it's playoff lacrosse, man. Um, Wasn't last year, the game where, Halifax thought they scored. Was it Toronto thought they scored right at the buzzer of regulation? It was Halifax, Hal- right? Halifax thought yeah. they did. The TSN, obviously, again, we, we don't need to go on this again. TSN clock feed, not the same as the in-building. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, doesn't happen. Funny enough, the guy who took that shot is playing for the Toronto Rock now. And Stephen Gale. Yeah, that's a true story. He scored a big Stephen goal. Yeah, once or twice. And and you talk about Stephen Keogh being on this Toronto team. Like, the guy has won literally everything at every level. Minto, NCAA, NLL, Chris Corbeil. Dan Dawson said it to me this week. One of the greatest leaders in the history of the game of lacrosse. And that is coming from one of the greatest <laughs> leaders in the history of, like, I can't wait, man. I can't yeah. wait. Um, we're going to add in X factors. They're not allowed to be a main scoring threat. They're not allowed to be a goalie. They're not allowed to be a face-off guy. Uh, you mentioned mine for the Toronto Rock, and that's Stephen Keogh. Um, and many of, of mine will be, and I'm sure yours will too, because those X factors are these types of guys, are the grinders, the guys that do the dirty work. Um, they may not be a three-point guy, but if you get them to get one or two goals, uh, four or five loose balls, a couple extra possessions – they mean a lot. And Stephen Keogh is an energy guy. And I think with all the attention that will be paid to Schreiber and Small um, and Dan Craig and Dan Dawson, Challen Rogers, that's going to leave Stephen Keogh a lot of floor. And he doesn't need a lot of floor to be successful. And I think if Keogh has a big game, I think it's going to be a huge boost for the Toronto Rock. Uh, like I, he is the X factor here. Mm-hmm. So I got to go with someone else. Um, I'll flip to the other side of the floor. Well, I mean, just let's, <laughs> let's keep this game fun because I know you are right. And you picked the right one and it's, it's, you did your homework quicker. Like, clip, that's why. Clip, that. <laughs> clip that. You said I was right. Okay, go. Uh, Zach Manns. Um, when, when Manns is, is going and, and contributing consistently, um, this offense is, is really tough to defend. 
Um, we know Small. We know Craig. They're going to put up their numbers. They're their top two lefties. They've been dynamic all year long. Mans is, is going to need to come up in the clutch because all attention are going to be on, similar to what you said, but the right side. I think Mans is going to have to be that guy, and he's been a guy that's struggled with consistency. He had a great game in, in the quarterfinals last year against this team. I think he's going to have to come up with a couple of big goals here um, just because the emphasis is going to be on top all of their big guys. Uh, my X factor for Halifax is a guy that just had 13 points. Um, so he's pretty okay. Uh, and that's Chris <laughs> Bushy. And, yeah. but again, I think there's going to be so much attention paid to Jammer and to Randy that you're going to need Chris Bushy to have another big game. And we know that he can. Uh, he's a guy that a lot of people have wondered how much longer he might be with this club because there was always going to be maybe one right he moved. Um, but he continues to show that he can play big time when the moment is biggest. And I think he's going to have to have another big game out the front door because we all know how good that Toronto defense is. He might get one of the quote-unquote lesser matchups more often than not. He's going to have to take advantage of that. Yeah, I... I I think there's there's no denying what we saw from from Bushi is like yeah the points were crazy but he also was like hustling for loose balls mm-hmm. getting back in reverse like he was a man on a mission and the one thing that you can't take away from Halifax is their their depth and yeah, yeah I know they've they've struggled to to find the perfect lineup um I don't know if they still have to be quite honest but what Bushi has unlocked with with the chemistry with Brandy Stotts, it has added a complete different dynamic. And I think that there's no denying that the righties are going to be the ball carriers. The righties are going to do the heavy lifting. And if Halifax wants to pull off this quote-unquote upset, he's going to have to be big. And for my X factor, I was going to go with the left side and a guy like Eric Fennell because, of course, very similar to, to what we've said. Like, it's those depth guys. But I'm going to go on the back end, and we know Wiz is important. We know Haas is important. Terrafenko, they're going to be logging some serious minutes. I don't think Halifax, if they want to be smart to get into a run and gun with Toronto, that's not what I'm trying to say. They're going to want to slow it down, Mm -hmm. muck it up, make it dirty, split it up into two halves. But I do think because of how good Toronto's defense is, Halifax is going to need to score a couple of goals in transition. And I look to a guy who's elevated his game to the next level, not just a a defender, but also in transition. That's Colton Armstrong. I think he is a guy that finds way to score big goals, especially when the offense is struggling. It just seems like he's a guy that's going into the corner, picking up a loose ball, pushing it up the floor, getting a big goal, throwing a big hit. He is a guy that I think, no doubt, will have to elevate his game even more. And if he can, with the other top dogs on that defense, this is going to be a dogfight, man. It is. And that's just one of the games on Friday night. The other game on Friday night will be just as, if not more so, exciting and intense and filled with bad blood. And that is Colorado 
at San Diego. As much as Toronto and Buffalo is a massive rivalry and one that will forever be etched in NLL history. In just the span of four seasons, Colorado and San Diego has become one of my favorite matchups is must-see TV every single time they play. It all started when, you know, Steve Govett made the move to leave the Mammoth and start a team in San Diego. He brought in Josh Gross, who was a longtime Mammoth executive and employee who did so much for that organization. He gets Cam Holding. He ends up getting Jeremy Noble. Uh, He slowly starts to build a monster down in San Diego. And now they, every time they meet, there's just this chip on the shoulder of both teams that want to say, you know what, screw you, we are the better team. No matter what kind of roster you build, we're going to build a better one. We're going to build a bigger, faster, meaner, stronger, more athletic, more high-powered offense, bigger, faster, stronger defense. Like They hate each other. And we saw what happened in their two meetings this year, the one in Colorado where out of all people, Zed Williams and Brody Merrill dropped the gloves. And then this past weekend in a game that, you know, if San Diego loses, they wouldn't have to play Colorado. And maybe some people look at that roster and say, oh, you know, they didn't dress this guy, this guy, this guy. They played some of the younger guys. They get Cam Lum into his first ever NLL game. So they weren't, quote-unquote, throwing the game, but they weren't exactly putting their best lineup in that game. And even at the end of the day, they still win that game, leading to this matchup. And it'll be the third time they've played each other in four weeks. It, I really have no idea which way this game is going to go. I think we can all agree that whether it's Dylan Ward or Frank Shiliano, one of those two guys is going to have to steal the game in between the pipes because both offenses and both defense are star-studded, that it is going to have to come down to the little things, and most often not, the little things are who makes the most and most timely saves. This, this to me, and it's crazy to say, like I'm almost like at like coin flip territory, Um there's a player that ah, you know what? Let's get let's get into our X factors because I I, I think I think yeah, mine might it. not count, but my X factor and I can give a different one if this one doesn't count. But well, my X my X factor is is going to be actually is Ryan Lee healthy and playing because I mm. think if he's playing and healthy, like Colorado, I think no doubt can. Even without him, I think they can win. But I think if if he's in that lineup, like this team is just completely different. You could be like, well, Pat, they won a championship without him. This year, it just feels different. This year, I, I like when he is in that lineup, they beat him when he went, when he was in that lineup. He had a goal and I think seven assists. Like mm-hmm. he he has to be there. He's the facilitator on that right side. Um, you know, they, it, because of how high powered san diego is like i don't i just i'm sorry i don't think the way that this defense is playing and and i know dylan ward can flip a switch but i think that they're they're not going to want to go blow for blow like they did a few weeks ago and um you know make it a 15 14 game but i think they're gonna have to score a lot of goals like i think they're gonna have to try to fill the net and i don't think we can do that without lee yeah i completely agree you know 
when Lee first came back, he was very tentative. You could see he still wasn't quite comfortable with the brace, doing all the flying Ryan Lee things that he we are known and used to seeing him doing. But as he got more comfortable, he started to become more effective. But I agree. I, him having seven assists is great, but I think you're going to need him to have three or four goals to really make that impact that we all need him and the Mammoth want him uh, to do. Um, mine for the Colorado Mammoth is on the defensive side of the ball. And we talk about Dixon and Doby and Berg and Audie Stotts and this offense that has just morphed into a super beast. I think that Warren Jeffrey and Brett Craig are going to have to be the meanest SOBs on the turf. They're going to have to play within the confines of not heading to the penalty box every other mm -hmm. shift, but they are going to have to play big, mean, physical defense on the, those guys and make mm -hmm. the night as long and hard and arduous as possible. Because if it's an easy night for that offense, it could be a long night for Dylan Ward. But if Jeffrey and Craig are playing playoff kind of defense and giving the extra chops and the extra shot, one extra, you know, a little punch here, a punch there, a slash on the wrist, just to take those guys out of their natural rhythm and slowly try to start to piss them off is going to go a long way. You don't want to poke the bear too much, but I think those guys are going to have to play big minutes, physical minutes, if Colorado is going to have any success shutting that offense down. No doubt. No doubt. Those guys are playoff guys. They're guys that when things get rough, you want them. Like you said, you want them to be rough and tumble. They got to draw the line. And San Diego is a team that there's no denying that they're not afraid to, to rough it up. Sometimes as we saw in that last game, like San Diego is not a, like, I should say not afraid, but they're, they, they've been known to take uh, some dumb penalties. Yeah. Uh, and that's what kind of allowed Colorado to get back into this. And I think Jeffrey and Craig are going to have to drag those guys into the mud. Yeah, I agree. Uh, your X factor for Colorado. Oh, he is Ryan Lee. Uh, yes. And for San Diego. The big cat. I mean, let's be honest. Um, you know, 46 points in 18 games. A little bit underwhelming this year. I think a lot of people, including himself, are expecting a bigger year. And yeah, I know you're sharing the ball with Berg. Adobe Dixon and Stotts, but I, I think that a lot of attention are going to be on those guys and there's going to be some opportunity where and I'm not saying he's going to, you know, have a five or five or six point game, but I just have this feeling there's going to be a big point in the game where the ball's in his stick and he's going to score a big goal or set up a great play uh, because the attention, there's a slide or a double coming on Berg or whatever it may be. Uh, and he's going to be able to, to to come up in a big clutch moment. And they're going to need that from him. Uh, mine uh, is Trey LeClaire for the San Diego Seals. Um, yeah. His points were down quite a bit, uh, substantially, um, from his rookie season. But he wasn't playing as many O minutes as he did in that first year. Um, I also, early on in the season, he was doing a, a good job of pushing in transition. But with the emergence of Danny Logan he wasn't doing it as much. So Danny Logan is going to play a pivotal role for the San Diego defense, along with Brody Merrill and Cam Holding and, and Patrick Shumay. But I really think that they need Trey, Trey LeClaire to do what Patrick Shumay did last year 
and score some big goals in transition. And his cause turnover numbers were way up. Uh, he had 22 cause turnovers this year, and and that's going to be a big part of his game. But he needs to turn those cause turnovers into offensive scoring chances, and that's going to start with him being that big, imposing, athletic self that he is. Get that ball, get up and down the floor, and if they can score some transition goals to kind of take the air out of the tires of the Mammoth, I think that goes a long way in San Diego continuing on this run and getting an important win at home. All right, Saturday night, Rochester at Buffalo, the I-90 battle, big brother, little brother, the, um, I don't know, the the upstate New York Bowl, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Uh, They split the season series. Buffalo lost the first game. They won the second game. Uh, That second game, they were still without some bodies early on in the season with Rochester just beating up everybody. But two different teams – that have gone sort of different directions in the second half of the season. Buffalo just continued to get stronger and stronger and healthier and healthier, whereas Rochester just couldn't find a win to save their lives. Uh, and it almost cost them a playoff spot. But they're in. Now they have to have memories of goldfish and just not think about the last month and a half. Mm-hmm. It's all here on forward. And I really think that Matt Gilray is going to have to have another big yeah. game out of the back end for Rochester. If if you haven't watched a lot of Rochester games this year, you've missed one of the sneaky good transition guys in Matt Gilray. And yeah. I think he's really underrated in his role because not only does he play big physical defensive minutes, blocks a ton of shots, but he also gets up and down the floor. And he's got an absolute, to steal a phrase, cannonade uh, <laughs> coming out of his stick when he wants to release it. And you know they're going to need they're going to get their 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 points out the front. They're going to get great saves from Ryland Hartley, but I think the difference in this game and the X factor for Rochester is getting transition goals because they got to match that energy that's going to be in Banditland. And one of the best ways you can silence that crowd is by scoring goals out of the back end. I, I, there's no doubt. I, I, I don't think they want to get into like a, a run and gun match by any stretch of the means, but I think they're going to need to find ways to get crafty and score a transition, a few transition goals. And who better than the guy that runs the floor the best on your team than Gilray? Like, you're right. It, a, a hot start is so paramount for this Rochester team. And yeah, we know they get a big, the game's never out of reach when you've got Buffalo, but I think taking that crowd out early is important. Transition is definitely one of the ways. The other ways is a gritty, you know, ugly, yet pretty goal. And that's Thomas Hogarth. Mm-hmm. And it's a healthy Thomas Hogarth. I know he only missed one game this year, but he's been playing banged up down the stretch and, he didn't look hurt at all last week against Philly finished with four goals and an assist. He's a playoff performer. If you've watched the Peterborough Lakers before, (laughs) if you've watched the man cup, you've seen this guy score big goals and it's not just, you know, him scoring those goals late in games, but he also, he starts off when he starts off hot. You're like, Oh man, here we go. He gets a couple early lookout. Yeah. And I think that's what they need from him. And I think he adds a different dynamic because we know Connor Fields, they're going to have all attention on him and he's going to get his. 
But these other cast of characters are going to have to come up big, and Hogarth's the guy I've got circled big time on my list. Uh, on the opposite side of the ball, uh, give me Mickey, Ian McKay, to have a massive game for the Buffalo Bandits. I have always been a massive fan of his game, uh, even when he was with the Catamounts uh, up there in Vermont. But ever since he's really taken his game to another level in the last two and a half years, both indoor and out, um, he's become one of my favorite players and he's going to have to have another game because we talk about the energy in bandit land and scoring big timely goals that can get that crowd continually into it. He's a guy that can change momentum for you. And especially off a draw or after a long possession, or if Rochester has some momentum, he can score a big goal going the other way. He can mix it up. He can drag you into the mud he can play both sides of the ball. You know, if there's a banged up body at the front, he can stay and play and create some offense. He's going to have to have a great game on both sides of the ball and doing what he does best. And I think he has a monumental factor in this game. I know I said I was going to pick yours, but this one's a no brainer. <laughs> it's got to be McKay and it, yeah. it's going to be both sides of the ball. It's going to be transition. And he's been the X factor this year for them. Really? Like when he's playing offense, when they were banged up, playing some solid defense. Uh, and again, he's he's a guy that um, last year I felt like elevated his game in the playoffs. Final game of the weekend. Calgary stole that second game in Panther City away from the club. They were down all night. But they, as they often do, just stay the course. They never panic. They never really showed any signs of weakness. They just were getting outplayed early on. And then they just started hitting their shots. They started getting inside. They started getting a Nick Day mood. And they started putting that seed of doubt in the minds of the Panther City players. And they're able to come back to win. And even though Callum Crawford had a penalty shot to tie it at the pretty much at the end of regulation, Calgary has two wins over Panther City. And that can go a long way uh, in this one and done. But can Panther City keep up? That's going to be the biggest thing for me. And one of the ways they keep up is by holding on to the ball and getting second chance possessions and getting resets and doing the dirty work. And the guy that does that the best, that's going to have to have an impact, and he didn't play in that first game in Calgary. He played in the game in Panther City, and that's the gremlin, Nate Grennan. Uh, I think he's going to have to be an absolute shit disturber in this game. He's going to have to try to get guys off of their game. He's going to have to do, he's going to have to score goals in tight and take a beating. And that's what he loves to do best. And I think if, if he can have a game, it will allow Donnie and, and Will Malcolm and Callum Crawford to do what they do best. And that's be the most effective. But if they can get contributions from Grennan contributions from the goat, I think they're gonna they're gonna be able to try to find a way to to play spoiler here. No denying that that depth scoring has to step up because we we've seen that that for whatever reason um, Calgary has the book on this offense and they're able to keep them silent, especially their top guns. So that's why I'm going with something a little bit different and similar to Toronto Halifax. Don't think Panther City wants to get in a track meet against uh, Calgary, but. They're going to need to score some transition goals. And that's why I look to Josh Medeiros, who had an unreal mm -hmm. season. Um, 
you know, really break out in, in transition and score the biggest goal so far in franchise history. Yep. Has an opportunity to, to score another big one for his club in the postseason. Led the league in defensive transition scoring in his, just his second year. And he's gotten a huge boost from Steve Toll, who uh, constantly reminds Medi that he was the first ever transition player of the year uh, <laughs> in the National Lacrosse League. But Medeiros is... Uh, definitely going to have to play a huge role out of the back end um, because we all know how good Calgary's transition game is. Uh, if Panther City can, A, try and slow that transition game down and, B, create a transition game of their own, this game could go their way. But for the Calgary Roughnecks, I, I'm a huge fan of your X Factor because he is – had an unbelievable second year in the National Cross League and is only going to continue to get better. But in a playoff run like this, he's going to have to have his best lacrosse. Tanner Cook, man, power forward. He's 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 a vintage lacrosse player, but he's also played really well against this Panther City mm-hmm. team in two games, 10 points. Um, we know King. We know Pace. They'll get theirs. But again, we've, we've talked about it so many times. These X factors are going to have to be those secondary scoring sources. And I think that the way that he plays, he might end up being one of their top scorers in the playoffs because he just, he thrives in rough and tumble mm-hmm. lacrosse. And that's what playoffs lacrosse is all about. Um, we talked about Grennan having to have a big game offensively and what it would mean to guys like Donville and Crawford. Well, Donville and Crawford are going to get a heavy dose of Jeff Cornwall, who mm-hmm. um, has quietly throughout his whole career been uh, an athletic shutdown guy. And he did an incredible job in that first game with no Callum Crawford, not allowing Jonathan Donville to really get anything off shot wise. And in that second game down in Panther city, again, was all over those guys all night long, making life miserable, creating cause turnovers, pushing in transition. He has the ability to score timely goals. And he's going to be the guy that we kind of focus on defensively, especially in that in our broadcast of a guy that's going to do a lot of work shutting down the top two right-handers on that Panther City group. So uh, Friday, Halifax at Toronto. Saturday, Colorado at San Diego. Saturday, Rochester at Buffalo, Panther City at Calgary. Two on TSN, two on ESPNU. It is going to be a marvelous, marvelous weekend. And what better way to wrap up that weekend would be to look at your phone and get that alert from CoolBet saying, ding, 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 ding. Congratulations, you won your parlay. Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. All right, Patty, box <laughs> bets time. Um, I know CoolBet doesn't have an app yet, but is that coming? Can, can, I, it, can I get a CoolBet app soon? It's in the works. It's in the works. Can't tell you when, but it's 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 been it's being discussed. All right, perfect. Uh, last week, uh, just because of everything that went along, we uh, didn't get you a parlay. We gave you a free weekend, but this weekend... We're going to give you all you need to be successful in round one. All right. Keeping this one simple. Uh, well, I think there's only four games. So. <laughs> it's not that I mean, hard. Top slim pickings. You guys are the ones that picked it anyways. Twitter poll. So you guys 
picked this up, chalked it up, and it was like a bloodbath, really. I think this one finished with like 70% of the vote. Thunderbirds, Roughnecks, both to win. One favorite, one underdog, plus 320. Birds and birds and who? Birds and Roughnecks. Oh, birds and Roughnecks. Right, plus 281 right. before the boost. Plus yeah. 281 before the boost. So you're getting a nice price on this one. That's going to be a tough one. I, I really think the birds are going to be in tough on the road against that defense. But I, I said it on, on an earlier show this week. I, I never want to go against the Cody Jamison led offense because that yeah. guy is just one of the best big game players. Plus he had Hossack and and whiz at the dot i i like it i it's got some good value in there for the people playing at home uh if you want to get involved because man this is the four games you got to be creative with your picks and and you guys picked this one for us so we're gonna ride with you but i, I want to ask you about the odds that are coming out for this game because i would have thought that there would have been some bigger disparity in, in who the dogs are in this first weekend. And when you look at the cool bet numbers, Colorado was the biggest dog going into San Diego. And not to knock Rochester or Panther City, I thought they would have been bigger dogs in their games and not Colorado. So can you explain to me and those listeners how this happened? So I'll have to, I wish I had this written down and, and maybe we'll be able to, to throw it on our Twitter, but I do believe, I do believe that, that actually it might've been Rochester. That was the biggest underdog. And I think that more people put money down on San Diego to win. And that's why mm. now the odds have moved. I think so it was close. I think it was spoken close. And they pushed the number. Yes, so that's what I think. I'll have to go back and look at the numbers. We'll get that. I'll say, like I said, I'll put that out on Twitter. But I do believe. But yes, it was close. And Rochester plus one forty, the second biggest. Uh, Halifax at plus one thirty, and then Panther City at plus one twenty five. So um, again, you got to think too as well. San Diego's are the odds-on favorite right now to win the NLL Cup. Um, clearly, the book thinks that this is a team that has a chance to win. Yeah, I know previous history, all that stuff. A lot of it goes in. But again, another reason is where is the money moving? And obviously at the start of the week, some sharp betters liked what they saw with that San Diego money line price. I'm very interested to see what some of the game props are as we get to game day and to, to see what some of the other lines that we can get are but again if you go to coolbet.com find the lacrosse tab you know you can go into each game and you can find different little nuggets to bet on money line and total goals of 22 and a half you think the rock are gonna win and it's gonna go over plus 215 halifax and it's under plus 300 so there's some very creative bets that you can go and do over with our friends at CoolBet. So don't think you just got to ride with us, ride with the listeners. Don't think you just got to stick with the money line or the the over-under or the plus-minus. You can – they've got some good things mishmashed together, so you can feel free to be creative. 
And of course, remember on game day, early morning, go to cool bet. You'll see the player props drop as well. So yeah. Don't forget about that too. What do you think is going to be the wildest one? The wildest prop? Yeah. Not, not like, you know, who's going to throw the first challenge flag, but like which, which player is going to get sort of, you know, it's going to be a Josh Medeiros plus two and a half goals or something like that. Oh yeah. Um, that's a good question. I'll have to, I'll have to speak with the, I'll have to speak with the bookmakers, man. I'll yeah, have, you, you call me off guard there. That's a good question. <laughs> because I, you know, I, I'm just trying to think of, you know, you're always going to get, you know, a, a Dane, you know, five and a half or more kind of point total. But I, I, I want to see the sneaky ones, the, you know, the, the, even back in the start of the year, it was Kyle Rubish plus two and a half goals kind of thing, little things like that. Right. But I think now that we're down to, eight teams yep you can be a little more precise and thinking about who's going to be out there like which team's going to score more transition goals it's going to be courier and, and simpson or is it going to be medeiros and and the like out of the back door but you know the fact that medeiros led all defensemen in scoring you know who's mm-hmm. going to have more goals out of the back end is it going to be him or is it going to be courier you know is it going to be i i just i like thinking about those things so i'm very excited to see what the player props are going to be starting tomorrow morning or Friday morning uh, as we record this and on Saturday morning as well. Coolbet Canada, coolbet.com. Log in, use the promo code OTCB. Let us help you play along. And as always, stay cool. Bet responsibly. All right. Um, after you're done listening to this one and after you're done listening to the lacrosse classified podcast, as we boost the lax flash shows here on our broadcast, you might want to go and listen to Cody Jansen's conversation with Derek Keenan yeah. on the rush hour podcast. Uh, as we are recording this, it's just dropped. So we haven't had a chance to listen to it, but Cody did preface us that there are some absolute bombshells in this conversation. So, uh, head over to the Rush Hour podcast after this. Take a listen because apparently there's some juicy, juicy nuggets from GM Derek Keenan, who, by all accounts, was very unhappy with how this season went. And he has, you know, a, a statement was put out on social media that it won't happen again. And he is doing all of the, all that he can to turn this organization around after back-to-back seasons of not making the playoffs. I can't wait. I can't wait. As soon as we have done on this, I'm, I'm, I'm tuning into the pod. You're walking the dog, listen to Cody and, yeah. and Jammer. Um, shout out to Marty, the party Dinsdale, who announced his retirement from the National Lacrosse League almost immediately after. And I think <clears> actually <throat> Mark Matthews broke the news uh, in his postgame interview. Um, but I've had the pleasure to watch Marty Dinsdale grow up. Um Starting in 2010, when Brad Challoner and I, Challoner and I, first started calling Coquitlam Junior and Intermediate Adnax together, um, it's when I first saw him and, and the Cornwall brothers and Riley Lowen and Robert Church and Wes Berg, and it's been an incredible ride watching those guys win a Minto Cup together, calling that championship game, watching them finish their careers as some of the best to ever play for the Adnax organization. And then to see the bulk of them go on to the rush and win championships there 
And Marty kind of bounced around a bit. And whenever he played, no matter who it was for, he always was that little water bug that you noticed that was always doing the little things and never was about me. It was always about the we and would do everything to sacrifice for his team. And as his career went on, you know, he had a family and he had a young kid and he started getting into personal training. So he was taking care of himself away from the game just to ensure that he was doing all that he can to be the best that he was. And what an absolutely incredible career for one of the nicest guys in the National Lacrosse League. You know, a 10-year career that spanned uh, three or four clubs, 129 games, 259 points, uh, uh, not a kinder guy out there. And what an incredible career. So congratulations to Marty Dinsdale uh, on, on a wonderful run in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, two champions, went to, went to three finals, a Minto Cup champion. Uh, I'm not sure what's on the horizon for him, um, but we wish him all the best. But uh, a great way to go out with a win in Vegas, and I'm sure they celebrated appropriately. World Lacrosse announced that the World Indoor Championships are going to Utica, New York. And this is a, an interesting move. Um, it is upstate. They will be able to get a lot of clubs or sorry, a lot of countries to the market. It will be an incredible atmosphere as always when the World Indoor Championships take place. So that is in 2024. Obviously, we know the world is heading to San Diego in 2023 for the World Field Lacrosse Championships. So there are a couple major, major world tournaments coming to the United States in the next two years. And not only will the men's indoor championships take place in Utica in 24. But the first ever women's championship will take place in Utica, New York. And I'm going to maybe pencil in a Sylvie Ann Jenner uh, onto that Team Canada roster, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but the fact that we are having a women's indoor championship is massive for the women's game because if you've never seen women's lacrosse, especially at the higher levels, it they don't hold back. They, they, they're... Full on. And so the fact that World Lacrosse was able to make this happen and we're going to get a women's world indoor championships going on at the same time as the men's indoor championship. Uh, shout out to everybody who made that possible uh, because it will be a incredible event up there in Utica, especially off the heels of what is going to be an incredible and the largest world field lacrosse championships this coming summer. I'm excited to see what happens up in upstate New York at the World Indoors in 2024. Speaking of U.S. indoor lacrosse, uh, we kind of prefaced it earlier in the show, but the fact that more Americans are starting to realize that if they want to have a continued success in the game of lacrosse and beyond just college and beyond just field, they want to learn the indoor game, they got to head north. Joey Spelina, CJ Kirst, Leo Hoffman, Peyton Booth, just to name a few, are all head heading to the Ontario Junior League. Joey Spelina to Orangeville, CJ Kirst to Mimico, Leo Hoffman and Peyton Booth to the beaches. And there are a few more who are going to be heading west out to play in the BC Junior Leagues. I think there's probably going to be a few guys heading to Alberta as well. So 
the rise of even just a Jack Hanna this year has shown Americans that box can be fun and you can have success. You just got to put the time in. So I'm interested to see how those guys fare in the Ontario Junior Leagues and if it leads them to not only coming back for more, but allows them to get into the NLL and have a successful career there. Because like we talked about in our top five stories of the league, the success of Americans in the indoor game this year was the best it's ever been, but it's also paramount to continue to build that pool of players for the future of our league. Finally, uh, the Premier Lacrosse League uh, put out their broadcast schedule. They'll play game three, or so they'll play their first game June 3rd, which will be coinciding with somewhere around game three of the NLL final. So we kind of move from one into the other, but more intriguing is Project Next. And this was announced by Sportico a couple days ago. And it's the idea that in the 2024 season, the PLL will move away or may move away from the travel system and the touring model and have teams based in either cities, states, or geographic regions. So you could get the Buffalo chaos. You could get the upstate New York archers. You could get the Denver outlaws back. Um, San Diego water dogs. You could get Chesapeake Bayhawks. So it might not just be a specific city or state. It could just be a general area. But I'm interested to see how this affects the PLL. Because when they first came out, everybody questioned the tour-based model. And they felt that, or some felt that, it was going to hamper the PLL. And they should have city-based teams. But I actually feel that the tour-based model was perfect for the PLL and that it was a great way for that league to have continued success because you could just go to these markets and yes, you would have fans cheering for specific teams, but they could also cheer for multiple teams and multiple players. Now you put them on a city-based logic or geographical area now you're trying to create diversity within your fan base and i'm not sure if they're how they're going to do games now is it just going to be you know archers at chaos in buffalo and then it's um the redwoods playing the water dogs in san diego so are you trying to broaden your landscape of viewership and games are you trying to create specific fan bases i'm very interested to see how this plays out at the end of the day and if they actually go through with it because in the sportico sportico article they don't actually have quotes from the national crossing it's a quote-unquote leaked story coming from someone within the executive group of the national or the premier lacrosse acting on anonymity It'll be interesting to see how the PLL rolls this out and where some of these teams get based out of, if that truly is where they are going to go. So um, that's something to keep your eye on moving forward. Uh, The PLL draft is coming up shortly. 
Our boy Dan Arestia has his big boards out uh, on who could go where. There are some very intriguing names on those lists and guys that not only will we see in the PLL in the future, but also guys that will be in the NLL next year starting in what? November? December? Whenever we start our next season. Um, but we still got to get through this season. And that means we got to get through the conference semifinals. And it all starts Friday night in Toronto, more appropriately in Hamilton. Birds rock on TSN. John Abbott, Pat Gregoire, Ashley Docking will have the call. And then Colorado at San Diego. Cooper Perkins, Nick Costello, Rain Michaels will be on the call. And then the next night, Saturday, Rochester at Buffalo. It's Brendan Glasheen, it's Mitch Belisle, Ashley Docking doing the double dip. And then on TSN and ESPNU to end it all, Panther City in Calgary, Chantel Chan, Brad Chowner, and myself will have it for you kicking off from Calgary. How do you think it's all going to go down? Will we see upsets? Will the favorites all win? Will we get rematches? Will we get blood? There will be blood. And that's one of the best parts about the NLL playoffs. It is better than the regular season. And this regular season was one of the best in recent memories. Enjoy the games this weekend. If you go to a game, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. And if you take friends, buy them a beer. Playoff lacrosse, friends, and beer. It is the perfect trifecta. Thanks for tuning in this week. Don't forget, he's at P. Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram at OTCB podcast. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.